Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Whether it's the human that could be haunted, and maybe not necessarily everything around them. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, it is Wednesday night, it is November 2nd, and I am Jeremy Scott, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Certainly, we have heard of many accounts over the years on this program of events that have happened to individuals, uh, seemingly with ghosts or with apparitions or strange anomalies, orbs and whatnot. And we've done many, uh, had many conversations about just what is actually going on here. Whether or not this is a residual event, whether it is tied to a certain event or to history at a location, or even whether the individual involved might play a role here. Poltergeist activity has been one of those categories that we could include in that conversation. It has been talked about for decades that the poltergeist phenomenon is something that involves the mind and takes the the individual who's experiencing it, to be present in order for the phenomena to happen, or at least to some way uh, have a connection, whether it's through security cameras, a remote monitoring, or whatnot, some sort of connection that, that there is between them and what is actually going on. It is a fascinating thought to really ponder What is actually happening when people say that they saw something like a shadow run in front of them? When they hear strange voices, when they hear footsteps, when they get that rush of cold air, pungent smells, 
everything we know to indicate the potential of ghostly manifestations. And I've asked a few people over the past few months as we've done shows involving haunted locations about whether or not they believe that the individual plays a role in that. But really, tonight... We have the perfect individual to answer that question, in my opinion. His name is Dr. Brian Lathe, and he's director of the Institute for the Study of Religious and Anomalous Experience, which is available online at israenet.org. He's also co-author of the book, along with James Haran and with Neil Dragnell, Kenneth Drinkwater, and Siren O'Keefe. It's called Ghosted, Exploring the Haunted Reality of Paranormal Encounters, and it's so good to have you, Doctor, on the program. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Interested in how this topic came up, would you mind giving us a little bit of a, of a background about why you decided to look into this topic, Exploring the Haunting Reality of Paranormal Encounters? Well, you know, my colleagues and I um, are fans of applying parapsychology to hauntings and poltergeists. Um, and my, my friend and colleague, Jim Horan, 20 years ago, did a, uh, a book, which was a compendium of several uh, PhD authors, and basically discovered, you know, 16, 17 years later, that not a whole lot of work had been done since. And so we basically engaged in a five-year collaborative campaign which resulted in 25 peer-reviewed studies and just on hauntings and poltergeists, right? Trying to update the information, get real data and evidence, and try to make some predictive claims about how we could better make sense of, of hauntings, right? Um, so the result of that was actually Ghosted. Ghosted is basically a, a layperson guide through uh, a bunch of studies that my colleagues and I worked together on at a at kind of a breakneck pace. So you uh, you you had these studies that looked into all sorts of paranormal events, right? People who experience uh, ghosts, but also live in in haunted locations. They experience other circumstances, and and you looked at what whether they play a role in it. Is is that accurate? Yeah, no, that's very accurate. Um, you know, people like to sometimes get caught up in the narrative, but as scientists, right, our job was to approach this from what we might call an interactionism model and understanding that whether we're dealing with ghosts or not, our belief systems, our experience, our backgrounds as people, right, always play a role in how we interpret the things that we see. Right. So, I mean, if you're in a haunted house, for instance, okay, and let's say you have in the room a skeptic and then a diehard skeptic and a diehard believer. And let's say we're lucky enough to actually see some sort of object float like a glass. Right. So let's say the glass, you know, lifts up like a foot and a half um, or something along those lines. Well, we can say without a doubt that both people witnessed that glass you know, levitating, right? Psychokinesis. Mm-hmm. But the true believer is going to say, right, that's a ghost right? Or that is uh, a demon or a spirit. And of course, the skeptic is going to say that was rigged. Notice that the event is absolutely the same. Both people saw that glass float, but obviously because of belief systems, right? The way they believe and the way they prefer to believe, the interpretation of what made that happen and what it means is fundamentally different. So, you know, I, I would say to you that people are always involved with hauntings because it is their backgrounds interpreting what is happening in the haunted environment that kind of creates that narrative or story of a haunting separate from the actual phenomena that they witness. 
Did you find then that if people are interacting with a force, then they can influence it? Well, we know that there are, you know, a couple of of actual traits that people have that make them much more likely uh, to report haunting experiences. Um, And those two traits, um, as we measure them, are known as transliminality. Um, And that's a really fancy term. It basically means it's a person that's hypersensitive to their internal state, right? The things going on inside their body, but also very sensitive to what's going on in the environment around them. Um, it also means that they typically are a little bit um, a little bit more influenced by their unconscious, right? So normally we bury that stuff deep down in our unconscious. We don't know what's going on. When someone that is highly transliminal um, tends to have more information from both their unconscious and their conscious going on in conjunction with the environment. So it's kind of this flow system. Um, and then the second variable is actually just belief in the paranormal. Um, we know from the old, you know, sheep goat effect of of Smidler back, you know, back in the day that, for instance, people who believe in ESP tend to do better at ESP tasks, but people that don't believe in ESP actually do worse than they ought to. Well, we see this parallel in haunting environments. If you are a high, tra- if you're a higher level transliminal, right, and you have high degrees of paranormal belief, you are much more likely, significantly more likely, to report haunting experiences throughout your lifetime. Interesting. So belief does also play into this because I'm wondering if you also then looked at skeptics, people who don't necessarily believe but also have experienced. Yeah, but it and but they're more likely, at least from the research that we've done from you know data and evidence collection, they're less likely to have as many events happen to them. Um, you're right, because we have uh, over the over the last five years, we've developed actually a formalized standardized scale. Um, called the SSE, which basically gets at the core, you know, things that people observe in hauntings. Um, and we know that it's a, a unidimensional structure, which is a fancy word for saying it's, it's, it's one factor, right, with subjective events, things like, oh, I got a cut or a scratch or I'm feeling a positive presence, but also things like, you know, fire started, I saw an apparition, things along those lines. So we know the higher you get in belief, um, the more uh, the more experiences you will report. Well, a skeptic is a converse of a believer in that sense, so they're more likely to report less experiences overall. But I have run into people that do have experiences in haunted environments, but because they're skeptic, no matter what, they will not admit that they had, you know, for lack of better words, what we would call a paranormal experience. So, you know, like I said, beliefs are powerful. Um, and, you know, frankly, when we get information that's contrary to what we believe, um, and this is true with politics and, and religion and everything else, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but we like to hold on to our beliefs. So when, you know, information is contrary to our beliefs, we engage a confirmation bias. We minimize the information that's contrary while maximizing the information that fits our existing belief systems. Um, it, it's one of the more powerful findings in social psychology. Do you also then uh, look beyond uh, the human element in uh, applying this, those same metrics to places and even to spaces? Well, you know, the research over the years um, in, you know, parapsychology, journal, parapsychology journals definitely makes a distinction between what we, call a, what we might call a 
place-focused haunting, right? So a haunting that occurs with location versus a person-focused haunting. Um, I know you brought up poltergeists earlier, but we would, uh, and sometimes we get in trouble for this, we would say that there's really not a whole lot of difference between a poltergeist versus uh, a regular haunting. All of the symptoms, right, all of the signs and phenomena that you witness in one, you're going to witness in the other. It's just the poltergeist tends to be more of a person-focused event, and the symptoms tend to be more severe. They tend to be focused around the individual who's present and may be influencing the events, which are also similar to what you said previously in experiencing ordinary ghost uh, events. But those uh, events also have some other signs that are very similar to poltergeist events as well. Like what, Brian? Well, um, if you think about, you know, symptomology of haunting, right? Um, and, and by the way, I want to make this clear. Is I'm, I'm speaking about this in very formal terms. I'm not making a claim. Uh, I wouldn't in particular make a claim that paranormal events can all just be explained by some sort of model. The, the reason they're paranormal events is that they're hard to explain, right? If you if you set up a good laboratory environment, um, I've definitely been personally witness to events that, you know, I have no clue how they happened. Um, so I want to make it clear for the for the listeners that I'm not um, trying to frame this in just some sort of it's all in the mind sort of scenario. But I would say that there's always this interaction between the person and the weird events happening. So when we have a haunting, you might see an apparition. You might see an occasional object movement if it's a really good situation. With a poltergeist, you simply see that ratcheted up. Right. You see more and more objects moving. In fact, you know, psychokinesis, the movement of objects is, you know, kind of the, the nom de guerre of, of, of poltergeist cases. But it's not like in hauntings you don't see objects move occasionally. It's not like in hauntings you don't see apparitions or you don't see other spooky features or scratches, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those are all present in what you would call I don't want to call them normal hauntings, but just in a place that is deemed to be haunted. Um, again, it's it's more of an issue with poltergeists that it tends to focus, and it's been a while since there's been a good case, um, but they tend to focus on that person. It's always around the person, and there tends to be a whole lot more phenomena to witness in a shorter period of time. Very interesting. Uh, my guest is the uh, director of the Institute for the Study of Religious and Anomalous Experience, Dr. Brian Lathan, co-author of the book Ghosted, Exploring the Haunting Reality of Paranormal Encounters. Uh, have you also uh, looked into other paranormal events that people uh, experience as well, or will you be looking at uh, additional paranormal events in the future? Well, in, in fact, we have. I actually, uh, yay, I'm prepared for this question. Um, there is, uh, when, yeah, like, yeah, and, uh, totally un, unscripted, by the way, because <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we don't exchange um, talking points or anything like that. So, uh, yep, we're riffing the whole thing. Um, there is, um, no, when I talked earlier about the scale we developed for core, you know, core basically phenomena that occurs in a haunting, we call it the survey of strange events. Um, some of the studies that we did while researching Ghosted also involved looking at um, if how those if those events were present in other types of high strangeness, and so we did two studies where we were able to show that, for instance, creepy imaginary friend accounts map very nicely onto haunting events. 
we can take that scale and we can apply it to, like I said, imaginary friends. And we find, lo and behold, if you go through a bunch of, of kind of creepy or, or, or high or what you might call it, the formal word is deep imaginary friend accounts, uh, accounts where the imaginary friend with the child seems to have its own agency and personality, and you start checking off what it is that they witnessed, we find that it parallels a lot of the phenomena that you see in haunting. We also looked at gang stalking. Uh, which is where there's no haunting involved, right? The belief with gang stalking is there's a group of people that you don't know and can't see who are basically doing horrible things to you to break your mind, right? So when we looked at several of those accounts, lo and behold, as a research study, uh, we also found that once you translate the core phenomena that the people are witnessing and experiencing, that also relates, to our checklist of 32 signs and symptoms of haunting. So we're starting to get enough data to think that there might be kind of a backbone of high strangeness, that these 32 signs and symptoms from feeling a presence to having some sort of physical phenomena is actually the core phenomena that is involved with all of these different kinds of high strangeness. It's just an issue of how the person or the group is interpreting the phenomena that they're experiencing. One of the titles uh, for your your group is uh, the study of religious and anomalous experiences. Do you think that religion plays a part in in this as well with how you, how we view the afterlife uh, per se? Oh wow. Okay, so that 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 is a hard question. Let me see if I can uh, do this without rambling too much. Um, well, okay, I think the easiest context uh if if uh if your listeners are really fans of ghost hunting is surely they've seen shows or run into groups that are uh, very christian in their orientation right as opposed to maybe a group being agnostic or being buddhist or being from an eastern religion right well think of it this way if we're in a there's a place that I, I like to study called the whispers um it is a place that you have to pay for but it's it has very good phenomena that occurs um and one of the entities there quote-unquote entities there, is famous for creating cuts and scratches, right, or knocking people over. Well, if you take a religious group into there that's Christian, they may automatically assume, oh, well, that's a demon, right? If you take agnostics in there or somebody from uh, maybe an esoteric background, they might believe that there's an elemental, right, an elemental that's kind of angry, or somebody else might decide that it's an angry ancestor who's looking for revenge, Notice that it's just our beliefs, it's our culture, it's our belief system of religion that's telling us how to interpret the scratches when, in fact, right, what we're getting are just scratches, right? They, they hurt, ow, and maybe something knocked you over. So what can you really infer from that, you know, that experience? You can go, well, something's angry, right, or something is doing me harm, but in terms of that being proof that it is a demon, or being an angry grandpa that's coming to get you that died 20 years ago, or you know a puckwudgie with with a with an axe to grind. That's all interpretation as a function of the people's religious beliefs. So you know again, it's that interactionism, it's that back and forth. Um, you know, one of the things we really advocate in the book is separating our beliefs and our biases from the evidence that you're collecting. Not that it's wrong to interpret the evidence, but if we're not aware that we're interpreting the evidence, a lot of errors can be very quickly made because we start confusing faith and belief with what we can document, which is not the same thing. Can you uh, further expand upon that? Yeah, well, um, you know, one of the problems that we see, uh, you know, right now in in parapsychology or in, or shall we say, the haunted community is, you know, this debate 
between who's right, skeptics are right, or believers are right, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the problem is when you start to dig into these arguments that people have, you very quickly will notice that they're making arguments based on belief systems they can't prove. Right. And by the way, I'm not saying religion is wrong. What I'm saying is that if we're going to study the paranormal scientifically, we have to make a separation between what the evidence tells us, right, versus what we want to believe, need to believe, or interpret in our favor. Right. So, you know, and honestly, this is just a hallmark of science in general. Um, Science is supposed to be belief free, we're supposed to just stick with the data. Right? I have lots of personal spiritual beliefs, but it's not my job to apply those beliefs beyond what the evidence tells us. Right. So, you know, with investigative groups, we often make a claim that you're either, you know, are you there to have an experience? And that's perfectly fine. Do what you want to do in a haunted location, you know, um, and, and interpret it the way you want to. But if you're going to collect evidence or scientific evidence, then that separation between what you think is real or what you believe versus what the data actually says that you're collecting needs to be cleanly separated. And you have to be honest with that. So how did you actually carry out this study and what did the data actually tell you? Well, okay, so do we want to talk about haunting phenomena and its relationship to electromagnetic fields? We could talk about um, how we formed the SSE. Um, help, help me narrow in a little bit. I wanted to know more about the SSE scale because that's something that you mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, the SSE scale um, is a survey, right? Um, now, a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with this, but there's a whole field of mathematics called psychometrics, right? And the whole job of psychometrics is to make sure that you just don't put together a Facebook study scale, right? Uh, so you can find out which Hogwarts uh, clan you belong to, right? Yeah, you email, um, you message people and you say, please respond to my study. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so in this case, we ran a sample of over 400 people. Um, and there's a very long, boring, complicated process to scale construction. But, but long story short, we run very complex mathematics on these sort of scales. And the goal of the mathematics is to demonstrate, at least in the SSE's case, right? So we have these 32 signs or symptoms. And we um, basically ask participants to either give us an account of, you know, what have you experienced if it's a spontaneous case, right? You weren't expecting it. But we also uh, collected samples where people were expecting paranormal events. And we also got a subsample of people that are ghost hunters or like to go on ghost tours. And then we also had two categories where we had them purposefully fake it. So we had a profile, right, of what genuine normal anomalous experience looks like as opposed to what happens when someone asks you to kind of give them what they want right or someone has purposefully tried a lying and through the mathematics we conducted we ended up finding out that there's one scale right just one backbone there's not two factors right because we have two kinds of paranormal um paranormal experiences that people have what you would call subjective things that happen to people that they feel on the inside right through their five senses so sensed presences or weird feelings but then you also have objective paranormal phenomena and that's where you can record them right so strange noises you can record apparitions that people visually see together objects moving things along those lines um, and in the past, researchers tried to make um, a claim that subjective haunting events, things that happen inside you, right, are different than objective paranormal events, that they're two separate groups. What our study very cleanly showed, and, and subsequent studies as well, is that they're intertwined, that 
paranormality, these paranormal experiences are a mixture of subjective and objective events. And they occur with a relatively set probability depending on the group that you're looking at. So you have these kind of a map of what you can expect in terms of paranormal experience with very common, highly probable events that people will experience in hauntings, less common and rare events. And those are mixtures of subjective and objective events intertwined. They're not two separate groups. It's one straight ruler scale of paranormality with objective and subjective events intermixed on that scale. So, uh, Brian, uh, Dr. Lee, did you find uh, a correlation between these events and electromagnetic fields in some cases at least? Yes, that's actually a that, that's actually a series of, of three separate studies um, I've done over the last twelve years, um, and that's a little bit different because in those cases we actually set up set up a field laboratory where we would set up um, basically laboratory grade uh, environmental controls. So we're looking at anywhere from ten to sixteen cameras, um, electromagnetic field meters in hotspot areas in the house. We could control and had videotaped everyone who entered and exited. Right, and what we would do is data log um, electromagnetic field readings. Um, you know, let me say up front before I say this: people with K two meters or people running around with meters in houses, you're not going to detect this effect. But what we have been able to show twice in haunted environments is that there is a subtle increase or decrease in the wiggle of electromagnetic fields. Um, they slightly, they tend to wiggle more, go up and down a little bit faster, or they tend to compress and get smaller right before or during um, actual paranormal events happen in laboratory studies. Um, for instance, in the 2013 paper, we found, uh, we actually were able to capture, we were lucky, three series of shadow figures coming out of a basement with no other entries or exits but that basement. Right, And we also had cameras demonstrating that nobody was down there. We had cameras demonstrating there was nobody behind the camera that captured the phenomena. And in all three of those cases, with these seven-foot tall shadows coming out of the basement, there were two to three standard deviation – oh, sorry – Uh, large wiggles and small wiggles that occurred on electromagnetic fields over time as they passed through the hotspot area. Um, a couple, several, several years later, we were actually able to capture 11 uh, beach ball movements on the, uh, on the footboard of a bed uh, with electromagnetic field meters nearby data logging. And we found right before or, right dur- or during any time that either one of those beach balls um, moved or fell or slightly jumped off the, off the bedboard uh, that we'd find, again, that compression or expansion of electromagnetic fields. So there does actually seem to be a relationship to it. Um, it's just subtle and small, and you would only collect or you would only be able to notice it if you actually had meters that were collecting data over time at multiple samples per second. You understand, and, and in fact, you are, are welcoming in some cases others to join you to try to get to the bottom of this mystery, right? Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're trying to push what we call citizen science. And one of the goals of the book is an understanding that there are a whole lot more people that are interested in the paranormal, that are layperson investigators in the paranormal, than there are parapsychologists out there. And so one of the goals of Israel, and certainly the goal of the book, is to try and get more tools out there and uh, get collaboration going between formal parapsychologists who you know, have been digging in these stacks and do all this fancy research versus the people with real field experience, right? Um, I personally can say, you know, over uh, 10 years with Israel, we have trained 
well over a hundred lay people, citizen scientists, and they have personally helped me figure out what sort of methods do and don't work in the field. You know, layperson investigators, if they seriously want to collect data, are invaluable because it's easy to sit in an office and, and come up with a, with a research design. But I'll tell you, people with experience dealing with these dark, creepy spaces will very quickly destroy your research design if it's not good and it's not practical. Um, field experience is important with this stuff. And, you know, all of, our, all of my colleagues on the book very much agree that it's, it's good for us to be getting back out into the field and collecting data. That's where the action is, and we're not going to begin to get a, a more thorough answer of hauntings if you know, we don't have more people helping us. Um, more importantly, the more people we have uh, who want to learn about science and you know, apply methods with all of us, uh, we get these massive data sets. And there's a whole lot we can do when there's, say, 10 teams collecting data in a standardized way across the United States. That's, that's a larger research project that's ever been conducted before. So, you know, we're hoping to build over time people into, you know, getting involved with us in our research, um, you know, at the level that they're at with the experience that they have. Okay. In the minute that we have left, give uh, credit to the authors, uh, your co-authors uh, and the rest of your team that you've worked on this research with. Oh, sure. Yeah. Jim Haran, Neil Dagnall, Cyrano O'Keefe, and Kenneth Drinkwater. You know, all of us worked very hard. And frankly, there's another 15 or 16 research authors that we brought in for various fields of expertise uh, to help us, you know, get all these studies done and then subsequently write the book. So we're very thankful to all of them for their help. I appreciate it. And the main mission um, of the Institute for the Study of Religious and Anomalous Experience is what? Is to give honest, you know, data-based answers, um, uh, you know, about the paranormal, about religious experience. Um, we don't ascribe to being skeptics or believers. We're fine with both because everything that's in, you know, in our book and everything that we've published works regardless of whether or not you believe in paranormal phenomena or not. The predictions are still solid and the models that we're using there still work. Um, and we think that's kind of the position that most people need to take. Um, you know, believe what you want to believe and certainly believers and skeptics have their place you know, in, in the haunting environment. You want both. Um, but let's agree to come together and collect good data, and let's see what that evidence tells us first. Uh, Dr. Brian Lath, appreciate you coming on the show tonight. The author of Ghosted, Exploring the Haunted Reality of Paranormal Encounters. It was uh, so good to have you on the program. Nope, thanks for having me. And, of course, uh, he is a director as well of the uh, Institute for the Study of Religious and Anomalous Experience at israenet.org. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, I'm Jeremy Scott. Good night and God bless. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.